Hi, I'm Reagan, and thanks for listening to my dad's podcast, Lasting Learning. Welcome to Lasting Learning, the podcast that was started because I thought I had things to say. The podcast that continues to grow because we've learned that your stories matter more. Welcome to Lasting Learning, where we explore great people doing extraordinary things, sharing with us the lasting lessons they've learned along the way. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get on to the episode. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. This week is a special treat for everybody. We got a friend here joining us from, I, I'm going to admit it, one of my new favorite towns in one of my new favorite states. And I can say that because now I'm a transplant and I'm no longer the enemy. But I got a friend joining us from Akron, Ohio. She is absolutely incredible. She is a doer of all things and all things with excellence. Amazing wife, amazing mother, amazing educator. And she is truly, truly on the cutting edge of all things. Today, I've got my friend, Chelsea Nicolino joining us. Chelsea, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I couldn't help but hold in that yes. I'm like, yes, because most people are like Akron, Ohio. And then I'm like, you have to come here at least once to understand. You kind of do, right? It's it's not just the town that LeBron's from anymore. Now it's the town that Chelsea lives in. That's that's how I refer to it. When people (laughs) when I when I start talking about the a place that I could truly see myself living someday that's not Florida, not on the beach, ironically. Akron has made the list. And I don't know, don't know why, other than the amazing people that live there like you. So yeah, <laughs> well, thank you, you. you are awesome. So Chelsea, for those people that don't know you, other than that, you're a, a teacher from Akron, uh, walk us through it. Who are you? What are you about? I'm Chelsea Nicolino. I'm going into my, and I had to count, um, seventh year of teaching this year. Um, I teach at a STEM middle school in Akron, Ohio. Um, I currently teach eighth grade science and uh, fifth grade digital literacy. So I kind of have like, you know, the little ones, well, they're little to me because they're like little on the middle school age range. And then I have my eighth graders too. So um, I love that. Um, I love what I do. And uh, I have two little kids. I have a three-year-old and an 18 month old who just started walking. So she was giving me anxiety there. <laughs> I was like, you know, when you're a teacher, like, oh, all in good time at their own pace. And then it's your own children. You're like, why won't you just do this thing? <laughs> Now she's walking. She's a champ. She's a pro at it now. So I was like, oh, okay. So, and then um, my husband is also in teaching. Um, he is an assistant principal in the same district I work in. We are at two totally different buildings. He's in high school and he has ninth graders. Um, so that is always fun dinner conversations. You know, ninth graders are really not that far off from sixth graders who are really not that far off from kindergartners. I mean, they're just bigger hairier and a little bit smellier, but they're, they're really the same type of thing. So that's cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So, so I gotta, I gotta ask you, um, a STEM middle school, be- before I start making the parallels to watching your own kids learn to walk and talk and all this stuff, can you, can you talk me through the professional side really quickly, a STEM middle school? What does that mean for those people that aren't familiar with the term? Ooh, well, um, I will say, I guess, 
at our building especially, we were the first STEM middle school in Ohio. And there have been more since us too, but um, really I, I feel like at our building, we are kind of the incubator. So we kind of try a lot of new things. I've always felt comfortable asking to try new things, which you know, I know we, you and I have had many conversations about grading and exploring different grading, you know, like practices. So um, especially at our building, I know we we have piloted um, problem-based learning. We do a lot of that um, inquiry-based learning. Uh, we try to focus a lot of things, of course, with the STEM fields um, and STEM mindset, but, uh, you know, we're not afraid to, like, try just kind of new things, uh, definitely different technology. We're getting, I mean, some of the cool things are, oh, we're getting drones this year. Oh, cool. There's just going to be drones, you know, flying around and everything. Not like, of course, in our classrooms, but um, I'm like, that's just so cool. Just new and different things. And I just feel like everyone in our building is just so open and no one's really stuck in the silos. We're, we like collaborating. Uh, we like talking about new ideas. Um, and I really think a lot of people have been opened up to like, you know, think, looking outside of the box. And I really appreciate being surrounded with uh, colleagues who, you know, don't mind trying new things. That, that's amazing. And I, I know what I'm about to say, it's going to come across as me throwing some, something under the bus. So I apologize <laughs> about that, but I, I'm going to go here. So I, I've been in a place before um, who profess to have a STEM department or a, a, a STEM community within their current school. And their STEM program was about 20 years old, and it was designed by former engineers who said that they wanted to put a program in place that would have been exciting to them 20 years ago. And as a result, it was a, a STEM department that probably would have been successful 20 years ago. How do you stay current and relevant and willing to, to push the needle? I mean, been in education now for seven years, and it sounds like every year there's something different, something innovative, in a place where you are finding success in relative terms where it seems like people are happy, the students are learning, they're thriving. Why change things? Why do things differently? That's a great point. Um, we we have actually in our building, we were kind of like almost like the last maybe one or two years, we were questioning like, okay, our building has been in existence. I think this is their 12th or 13th year now. Um, is this still relevant? What is our purpose? Is mm -hmm. our purpose still the same? Um, you know, is there still a place for problem-based learning? Um, you know, how does that differ? Should we be doing things differently? And I think, I mean, I think a big thing about that too is uh, what we learned because a lot of the practices we were doing, we we were finding success, and then we were told from um, our some of our directives um, in the downtown office that you know, like we do appreciate what you're doing, and they're actually pushing out our practices into other buildings. So that was really neat to see. So that kind of was like, oh, okay, cool. But then we're like, okay, well, what makes us us? You know, because we're the only you know STEM middle school in you know at least our our district. Like, what makes us the STEM school? So I think I agree with you. We were at a identity crisis there, where we were just like, okay, well, what makes us different? Because everyone still, like you know, was using our practices that were being successful for us. Um, I think now that that's a big thing for us too. Like you know, if it's working, why change it? Like if we don't have to, like you know, things are if things are going great. Um, we had you know we were a mastery learning school. I know we've talked about that before, um, but you know we're also kind of finding out like, especially if we get new um, new educators in our building. Uh, what does mastery learning mean to them? You know, especially like 
professional development? Um, are we all doing the same mastery learning? Um, or is it a little, you know, is it different in each classroom? And uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of where we're at right now. But um, yeah, I think, I think we're in a good spot though, too. And, you know, trying, trying new things, but keeping what's working for us. It's a hard balance. You know, I, I'm going to apologize for the listeners right now, if, if we geek out for a minute, but, <laughs> but I want to, I want to unpack some vocabulary that you're putting out there because I think some, this vo the vocabulary, we brush across it, it because it's common. A lot of people use these terms, but I think parsing out how you identify these terms is extremely important as we jump into some of the next pieces. So we talked about a STEM school, a school that's based off of science, technology, engineering, mathematical practices, kind of embedded throughout the, the curriculum and throughout the, the content. But you mentioned the term of a, a mastery-based school. I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna put you on the spot right now. <laughs> Define for me what that means. What does that, to you, to your school, to your environment, when you say that you are a school focused on mastery? Well, <laughs> Oh, well, as you know, last year, I went through like a whole like journey of trying to figure out what in the world did that mean? Yeah. What did it mean to me? It changed a lot. I had more questions than I had answers. And um, I think in the end, mastery learning, at least what it, what it means in our building is that students learn at their own pace and will master at their own pace, going back to my daughter walking and everything yeah. like that. But I was like, you know, I like celebrate it with my students. Like, it's okay if you don't, you know, if you, if, if you haven't mastered it yet, it's okay. It's a whole mindset that are change and shift. And um, I think in our building, at least with mastery learning, we really focus on that. And, you know, if something, if something doesn't click the first time, trying something new, we don't just keep, you know, using the same practices like, all right, we'll get it this time. Like we have, um, we have a class period um, in our building for each grade level, it's called innovation. And it's essentially where teachers get that time to remediate or enrich students based on where they're at in their learning. And I really think that is the time where we, and, and I mean, most of us do this in our classroom, but it's so nice to have an extra period to just do that, to pull mm. the kids you need, to pull the kids who, who need your, you know, your support or just need to be challenged. So in our building, I think that's really what mastery learning has, you know, has molded into. I love how you identify this as how it's identified in your building, because mm -hmm. I think it's important that whoever's listening to this, that you recognize that it could look differently in your building, it could look different in an in individual classroom, as long as it's clearly articulated so that you can have the conversations around it. You brought up this, this notion of self-paced learning, of students being able to move through things and learn things in their own time, in their own way. It doesn't mean kids can just blow off learning and blow off tasks, but we recognize that learning is not this arbitrary thing that just happens because it's Friday. We have to take a quiz on Friday because it's Friday. Right. But you also mentioned your own kiddo learning to walk at 18 months or somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, and you mentioned that there was this disconnect that in your own classroom, in your own school, you celebrate self-paced, but at home, this was bringing you some anxiety. Can you talk to me about the, that anxiety as a mom? Watching, watching your kiddo um, move past mile markers or milestones and timelines that other people have prescribed and said, they should know this by this date and how you started to feel. Absolutely. I, I felt like I took it personally. Like mm -hmm. I didn't do something to help her 
get to this next milestone or I could be doing more. And I, I've always felt this way. And it's, it's interesting, like I've had conversations with other mothers and they always feel like going from like one kids to two kids, that was the hardest. Um, or uh, sorry, for me, that was the hardest. Going from zero to one was harder for other mothers that I know. And I'm like, oh, it wasn't the case for me. Um, I just felt like I could focus on my son a lot more. Mm-hmm. I've read a lot of books, which is good and bad. <laughs> and so, you know, you're sitting there with a the mile marker and it's like, yes, got this down, this down, mm-hmm. you know, and he was a pretty easy kid. My daughter was hitting different milestones at different times. And, you know, I, I need to practice what I preach, you know, with my students being like, oh, it's fine. You know, if you didn't, if you didn't get, you know, you didn't master this time, it's all good. You have another chance. Well, and then looking at my daughter and I was like, um, yeah, like every month I would pass by that I got more and more nervous and everything. And I was like, what does this mean? And then one day she just got up and started walking and I'm like, okay, that's why. And I always, I, I appreciate her so much because she always she she always like you know kind of levels things out for me and like put things into perspective like it's gonna be okay she's fine uh she's doing great she will talk your ear off at one I was like she'll probably start talking really early so um she'll she'll have that going for her at least but yeah it's hard not to compare kids for sure for sure and as a father of four I can attest to this yes (laughs) yeah I am relating to the story in a very real way right now all right next next question we're leveling up here Okay. Is your daughter a master walker? We talk about mastery-based learning mm-hmm. and this quest for mastery. Has she mastered it? Oh gosh. Well, I don't know if I'm just seeing it through mother's eyes and everything too. She is very, she's, this is kind of terrible, but really funny. So she's really good. Even before she was walking, she was really good at crawling. I would say like, you know, I was one of those moms like, look how, look at her form. It's excellent. <laughs> It, but she would be like one day, I think I was sitting at the dining room table. We have like a little play area that's right next to me. And I was typing something and I look over and she had somehow climbed up to the top of this little, you know, plastic picnic table. And I look at her, but I wasn't freaking out yet because I was like, she's so balanced on her tiptoes and everything. Like that was her thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I, I'm, then I kept, you know, kind of put me into perspective. I was just like, okay, you know, she's a lot better at balancing. So now when she walks, she doesn't do that toddle thing. My son, he, he would like walk and fall face, face forward on everything. I mean, he still does that and he's three, <laughs> but her, I was like, Oh, wow. And like, even if she has little obstacles in her way, she can maneuver right around it. So, I mean, I, I think she would, I mean, I would, I would definitely give her mastery. I think, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I don't know if that's my mom voice speaking. Fair enough. Just, fair enough. What about your son? Good. What about your son? Uh, you said top topples over sometimes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's, he's just very clumsy. I don't think he's not, it's funny. He's like so spatially aware. He's not aware of like what he's doing, but what the world around him is doing. So it's like, Oh, he's going to be fun to teach driving lessons to. I'm sure. <laughs> so. Okay. So now let, let me ask, let's, let's translate this to the classroom. So in the classroom, in a school where you're focused on mastery based learning and people, kids, adults, even being able to progress at their own pace until they, hit milestones, whenever those may be, you're recognizing that your own kids and their quest for mastery of walking don't necessarily have it perfected, whatever a master walk or like a perfect walker looks like, I I don't even know, but that they stumble, they fall, they bounce into things. Mm -hmm. Is it that same expectation in your classroom when a student uh, accomplishes mastery that they still stumble, they fall, they topple every once in a while? I think so. I think I have gotten so much better at not when I, at least with my grading practices, it's not like, 
oh, you missed this, this, and this, like, you know, and just, just nitpicking everything. And I think, and I know like just being, you know, a professional educator, actually like, you know, knowing your content, you know, a lot better, just, you know, practicing it through the years, I can sit there and be like, you, you know it. I know exactly where you had the misunderstanding. It's fine. I think, you know, that, you know, you, I, I think I can better analyze and understand where they're at in their learning and, you know, not, you know, be like minus one for like every little thing or, you know, um, 127 points or anything like that, you know, like missed a period or things. So, and I mean, even in science, I think I've gotten a lot more comfortable with different experiences for lack of a better term mm -hmm. of, you know, it's not just writing something or multiple choice or, you know, they could perform a lab for me. And I think, you know, I've gotten better at really assessing what that mastery is and it's okay if, you know, there are bumps along the way. Cause that's what I, I tell them all the time because a lot of times my students are like, oh, were you like the perfect student? And I was like, I really wasn't, I was not. I was one of those students who I, I was a terrible test taker. I would be so anxious and I, it was very difficult. I hit middle school and I kept getting C's on my test and it mm -hmm. freaked me out. And I knew if I could do all my homework perfectly, I could get this certain grade. And um, I tell them all the time, I was like, I don't tell just anybody this. And it's really embarrassing. So this is a uh, lasting learning kind of like <laughs> first edition thing. But um, I got, I remember I got a D on my report card in AP Calc. I could not figure out AP Calc. I went to all the tutoring sessions. I did everything I possibly could. And I got a D and it broke, it broke me. And, but when it was senior year, it was literally the last quarter. And, you know, I was like, okay, you're still going to college and everything. It, it's okay. And so I tell my students that too. I was like, yeah, you might think like, oh, you have it all together. You've always had it all together. I was like, it's an appearance, but <laughs> I was like, no, I really don't. I said, but that's the whole thing about mastery. And that's why I think that's why I wanted to give my students opportunities. Like maybe you're like me, maybe calc was super hard for you and just give them more opportunities to show like, I mean, you could look at that D and be like, Chelsea wasn't, she just blew off that class I really didn't and you know maybe if I had more opportunities for mastery I don't know maybe I could have you know had a higher grade than that but yeah I, I like to like you know tell them like I'm, I'm not perfect in any way and it's okay it's okay if you don't get it the first time that, that description and that that narrative I, I think were powerful because one thing I, I do want to call out for for people is to recognize that Mastering a content doesn't mean you know everything there is to know about that content because we will never know everything there is to know. You might think that you are a master of biology until a new organism is found or until a new bacteria is discovered, until something else that we don't know about how the brain works is solved. We will always learn more. You can be a, a master of the English language until the new novel is written that blows away all other novels that you just discover and you analyze. A master does not mean you know it all. A master means you've embraced the process of continuing to learn more and you understand that there's always more to learn and you've embraced that. A master of karate is somebody that studies karate and continues to refine their craft. A master teacher is someone like you who continues to refine their craft and continues to reflect. I think we need to have that same responsibility or that same um, sense of ownership on our students. When we're looking for masters, we're looking for those people that embrace that they don't need to know it all they simply need to embrace the process of learning more. Somebody that's in the, the realm of science, I've been quoting Becky Schnexer a lot. 
Becky Schnetzer is one of my, my favorite people on the planet. And she has this definition of science that I think is so spot on. She says, science is simply the art of being less wrong. And I think that is so good. You know, yes. in, in a STEM school, I think that's a mindset that, that you embrace probably better than anybody I've, I've ever met, Chelsea. I think you are this person that constantly says, I'm going to do the absolute best I can so that I can uncover the next thing I need to uncover. And I love that about you. And I love that you are imparting that into your students as well. So as you look into this next school year, where it's going to be unlike any year we've ever had, the, the students are unlike any student you've ever, you've ever had, because their experiences are unlike any experience that we've ever had. What is your goal for your students going forward? Oh, gosh, I've thought about that so much because it, it just feels like every year it's been, you know, so many different hurdles. Last year, we were almost, we were 100% virtual until March. Yeah. That was, that was different. Um, we are thankfully back in person this year too. Um, and I think, I think my idea of my classroom definitely changed when we, you know, March, 2020. And I was like, you know, and I realized, especially last year, the hard thing for me was that I take pride in my classroom and my classroom environment. And it, you know, it wasn't the same online. I couldn't provide that, you know, safe, inviting, welcoming classroom for my students. And I think this year, the funny thing is, is like, I've, I've kind of just kind of totally shut off any like teacher thinking, I guess, this whole summer. And I was like, I'm just going to embrace like slow mornings, relaxing, things like that. Um, of course, I did the grade list book study. So there's, I can't shut off my brain <laughs> completely. But for the most part, I was like, you know, I think I'm really just going to focus on, and I know everyone says this, but really those building those relationships, because I missed, I missed that last year. It, I, I tried really hard online. It was a totally different it was a totally different experience. Um, I think I did the best as what I was given, but I just love my, I took pride in with my classroom, being able to sit with every student and conference with every single student, every class period. It was just really difficult to do that long line. And I think that's what I'm going, that's what I'm really like going into. I'm like, this is, that's my goal. I want to at least have a conversation with every student. So they know like, I mean, it could just be like a really simple conversation. It doesn't even have to be academic, but I'm like, I just want to like, you know, build those relationships in person with students this year and create that classroom environment where they where they feel safe, where they feel comfortable, where they can make those, you know, mistakes and it's okay along the way. You have like five kids in your class. I mean, how, how do you sit down and make <laughs> connections and relationships with every single kid? There, there's some people listening to this right now that said, wow, that is, that's, an, that's a noble feat. I don't know that I could do that. So I'm going to you to, in just a second, like give people tactical things that they could do to make that happen. What do you do in your class? But I also want to center on the last piece of that, that when kids know that you care about them as people, they're more willing to take chances and fall down. They're more willing to make those mistakes. And because they know that there's somebody there that has their back, not just their grade book, right? You are there to help support them, not just to label them because they know you and they know that you care about them. They know that's your end goal. So how do you make that happen though in, in the real world? Oh, that's such a good point. Um, I mean, I've, and I, I kind of take pride in this. My students always refer to me like, cause we're on like grade level teams. Then they're like, oh, well, you know, Coach Nicolino is the nice one. 
And at first I didn't want to be the nice one. Cause I was like, does that mean the naive one? Like, what does that mean? <laughs> and like, I've now learned to embrace it. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm the nice, I think I now take it as you're the approachable one. Um, my first couple of years, like, you know, you're new and I'm sure they were like, well, you know, you're new, you're young. And I didn't feel like, you know, students were, you know, as comfortable coming up to me, I guess, for lack of better terms. But, um, now I feel like, you know, I, I, I take pride in that, especially like when I try to make a connection with them, cause we all know there's some students who, um, they'll, they don't like being, they don't like approaching other people. So mm -hmm. like, if you sit down and have a conversation with them that at least kind of gives them the opportunity where they didn't have to, you know, approach you, especially if they're a little more introverted, which I know some people are like really shocked when I'm like, I'm really introverted. It takes a lot for me to like approach other people and things like that. I mean, in my classroom, totally different. I was like, oh yeah, I'll wear goofy hats. I'll be like silly and, you know, sing. I never sing and I'll sing for them and everything. And so <laughs> I know some people are like, wow, you're like totally different in your classroom or, you know, like, I don't know, like, I feel like I'm shy. So I'm like, I know what that was like in middle school. I loved my teachers, but I was kind of, you know, I was shy. I didn't really want to approach them that much. I was kind of that middle average student who I could get by. They probably knew who my name was, but I wasn't going to be like, you know, outstanding student of the week or anything like that. So uh, those are the kids who I always like to, to try to make connections with. It's always the, the middle kids because that's who I was. Wow. It's so cool. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm one of those people that's kind of shocked to hear you say that you're shy because I'm just thinking about our relationship. You and I have, have talked I can't even think about how many times we've had conversations where you've reached out and said, Hey, can we have a conversation? We're doing a podcast right now. And we're, we're sharing this, the story literally around the world, but yet you say you're shy. So what prompts you to step out of that comfort zone from time to time and say, I'm going to take a chance here and have a conversation that I wouldn't normally have. I'm not going to lie. Um, I have a, I have a great support system, but also I really, I love the power of social media. Mm. Honestly, like, I mean, I know some people, some people don't use social media for the good, you know, you're behind a keyboard, no one knows who you are, but I love that aspect, especially like connecting with people. Like, uh, I'll just bring up Caitlin Giordano. Cause we, we talk on Instagram all the time. We've never met in person and and Megan, we talk all the yeah. time on Instagram and was like, we never talked in person. And I remember the first time I went live with Megan and my mom was like, do you know her? And I was like, well, technically, like, I don't, it's kind of funny to explain to people who like, aren't super like on social media and like talk to people who, cause I was like, I always make fun of, like, I always tell my mom, I was like, you know, when you used to tell me, you know, like in eighth grade, like don't talk to strangers online. And I'm like, that's what I'm doing. And I'm meeting people in person. I'm like, I know it's everything that you never it told me never to do. And most of them have been with teach better people. I remember the first time I met Ray and Jeff together. And I think that was my caption for my photo when I posted on Facebook. I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I didn't listen to my mother. I met people who in person who I met online. And, you know, it's just, I love that. I don't know. People are so, at least the people I've connected with on online, like you, and then like, you know, I can hear your voice, like in the podcast. I'm like, oh, I, yeah, Dave, Dave's my friend, <laughs> you know, like, like we've never met in person. I was like, but I don't know, you're like, you know, so genuine, like with your tweets and your posts and everything like that. And I'm like, I, I feel like I know Dave, even though like, it's only through social media. So that's well, why I don't know. know I, I, I get that. I get that completely. I feel like one of the things I love about you is your ability to, to see the good in all things, even these things that so many others see as 
as bad, nasty, potentially dangerous. But you know, 30% of marriages today um, are a result of people meeting online. So we're, we're not an anomaly here by, by having a friendship that, that started online. It's happening in a very real way all around the country and all around the world, even, even to the point where in your school and in your classroom, working with middle schoolers, right? There are a lot of people that would say, oh, middle school, seriously? I'm sure you hear that when people say, what do you do? And you say, I work with middle schoolers. They say, oh, God bless you. How many times have you heard that, right? Yeah, you see the joy and the beauty in that, the inquisitiveness, the awkwardness, the the curiosity that 13, 14 year olds have is like like nothing else. You can embrace that awkwardness and use it to change their destinies, especially, in a STEM school where you guys really push questioning and curiosity and the inquisitive nature. Do you ever see yourself, maybe I, I shouldn't ask this question, but <laughs> do you fully embrace the STEM mindset? Do you, do you wish every school was a STEM school in some capacity? I, that's a, probably a better way. I was going to say, do you ever see yourself leaving? That's not fair. So <laughs> do, you, do you think that the way that you are doing school and the way that your school is set up is the way that most schools should be designed and set up? I, I'm all for personalization, but I was like, I've seen the success. Um, actually, I was talking to my husband the other week and I was like, could you see yourself not no he's in a principal role now but I said if you were still teaching could you ever see yourself not teaching with the computer anymore and he was like oh I could do it I don't think I can I don't think I could ever go back to that I mean uh, it's not like I'm on the computer all the time but just the the you know abilities the tools the strategies you can use with technology and I feel like and I, I, I'll answer your other question do I ever see myself leaving out of a stem like building and stem mindset I I honestly can't I honestly can't um and it's kind of funny. I just uh, finished grad school with, you know, uh, educational leadership. And, you know, people always ask, oh, are you going to move into leadership yet? And I'm like, I don't feel like I'm ready yet. I love teaching. I love what I'm doing. I, I like to tell people, like, I don't think my job here is done. There's still so much I want to do, so much I want to try. And honestly, I'm very self-conscious of, like, am I really embodying STEM as STEM is intended? What does that, I, and to be honest, I'm still trying to figure out what does that really mean to me? Like people think STEM and they're like, oh, are you building, are you doing engineering stuff all the time? And I'm like, that's a part of it. It's not the whole entire thing. And I really, I don't want to knock on anybody, but I love it when people do STEM projects, but then people only think, oh, that's just, that's all STEM is. Like, you know, you do those fun little projects and yeah, those are fun. We still do that stuff, but it's a whole, it's a whole mindset, I think, and the whole process. STEM is so much more than you know, just that. Were you familiar with that mindset and that way of doing things? So your seventh year, nine years ago, ten years ago, did you know what it looked like, what it felt like, or was it something that you became a part of the STEM cult and now there's no turning back? <laughs> the latter. I really <laughs> didn't know too much about it. And it was kind of nice, like walking in and like, I knew a little bit about it. I kind of knew what like problem-based learning or yeah, problem-based learning. Sorry. Our building, it's a big like PBL. We're like, Oh, you cannot interchange project and problem. It's two different things. So I have to be very clear, especially when, if they're listening to this now, I got <laughs> it right. Um, so yeah, problem-based learning. I knew a little bit about that, but yeah, it, it was kind of, it was nice going in with like clean slate and just kind of being thrown everything. We always joke in our building, like new hires, if you're new to our building, it's gonna be super overwhelming because you're thrown so many different things. 
but it'll eventually all come, you know, it'll all make sense. It'll, it'll be fun. So it all makes sense to you now? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, okay. So you, so if a new teacher came to your building this year, what is their priority? Where, where do you focus in on them? What do you say? This is what you really need to know. Um, I would, I mean, uh, my first thing when I was told, when I came into that building, um, the first thing they gave me was my curriculum. And they said, this is the first thing you really need to focus on. Everything else will come into place. And the big thing was, is um, one of my coworkers, she, she said, you know, create a list. She's like, we have, we have so much professional development. Like things are thrown at you constantly. She's like, by no means does it mean you need to do everything in your classroom all at once. Pick and choose something. What maybe one thing? Don't overwhelm yourself. That was the the, the advice. I instilled seven years in. That's still what I do because I know in about a week we'll go back to school, and um, we we have a full week of professional development, just like kind of special mm -hmm. to our school, and it is overwhelming. Some days you'll like leave and you're like, oh my gosh, I need another venti coffee. Um, and then you're just like, I don't know where to start, but then okay, you have just to pause you. every okay. day. You need another venti coffee That's, just for the record at two venti coffees a day at minimum. If you're an educator, <laughs> sorry, carry on valid point. Yes. Um, yeah, but I still, I still keep that in mind. Like you, you don't have to do everything, take what you need, take a little bit here and there. Don't feel like you have to do everything because honestly, this past school year being online, I honestly felt terrible because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing this or this, like things I've done in years past. And I had to like step back and be like, it's okay. This is totally, I mean, you were totally redoing like everything you've ever done. I felt like last year, I felt like a new teacher and it I was like, it's okay. You'll come back the next year. If you feel like you are in a position to start embedding those things, those practices again, it'll, it'll come back. That's good. That's good. So fast forward now a year from now. So you're sitting there reflecting on the year that was planning for another year. What's it going to take this year for you to realize it was a success? Oh, such a good question. Um, I feel like at the end of the year, I always have that feeling like that if I really felt like I made an impact with students, like I, you, I feel like you just, you feel it, you know, you're like, that was, that was a good solid year where you, especially like I'll, I'll put out end of the year surveys and I just want to know. And a lot of times I'm like really, really vulnerable with them. So I'm like, please tell me, how can I be a better teacher? How can this class be better? And I'll be honest, the first three years, I would have never asked any questions like that. Year four, I was like, all right, you probably need to start asking your students like, you know, how things are going. And man, they give such great answers. They are so reflective. I mean, everyone's like, oh, 13, 14 year olds, they don't, they'll be like, oh, I don't know, Fortnite. <laughs> and they are so reflective. It's, it's amazing. The ideas they come up with. And sometimes they'll come up with ideas and I will embed them next year. And honestly, I'm, I'm the kind of person like um, compliments are my love language. And so, I mean, not every student is going to be like, this is the best class ever. And I don't expect that, but some of them are like, I really enjoyed coming to your class. And that's mm -hmm. all I wanted. They didn't have to like science. Always, as long as they felt comfortable in my classroom, I was like that, that was awesome. That's all I want. That's so good. All right. Now let's fast forward 18 years into the future when you've got a 21 year old 
and a 19 year old. Right. Right. Um, what will make you feel like a successful mom? You know, my, my husband, and I talk about this all the time and it's kind of funny. We've, we've noticed like, at least when we talk with our, with our son and we're very like, um, very open about like, oh, if you want to go to college, but then we'll backtrack like, or if you wanted to go to trade school, or if you want to like, we're very open to like, it's not like college or bust. Um, the funny thing is my son is he's super into air conditioners. I don't know any other three-year-old who is, he loves air conditioners. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> like we went to, on vacation to South Carolina and we went to Patriots Point and we're like, here's this giant battleship right in front of us. And we got out of the car and my son was so excited that there was an air conditioner unit next to, I think it was the gift shop. And so we, my, my father-in-law was like, oh, go stand by it and we'll take a picture. Couldn't get him to stand in front of the boat. No, he took a, front, a picture in front of it. So we're like embracing, like, I was like, whatever you want to do. I was like, man, to see this kid light up whenever he sees an air conditioner, it's the funniest thing. But I'm just like, I, I don't know. Like, I think that's, that would make me, me happy as long as they're like doing, I know it sounds so cheesy. And I know some people now are like, maybe we shouldn't tell kids to just do whatever they want, but I don't know. I was like, but if he's doing a job where he doesn't feel fulfilled, although we are probably going to have teachers, two teachers <laughs> for, for our children's professions, I'm pretty sure of it. But um, I don't know. I feel like if I know I did my best, I gave them experiences and I don't know. I really do appreciate the time that I get with my, my kids. Um, I, I love the teaching profession too, because it gives us that, you know, where we have time during winter break, spring break, summer break. I know people are like, oh, teachers just get time off and everything too. And I was like, well, we work our butts off the other nine months of the year, but man, I do enjoy spending time with them at home, giving them those experiences. And just, I don't know. I feel like that's, that would make me feel like a successful mom not the walking or, you know, if he doesn't, what are the other, what other milestones they have after that? I, I don't even know. I didn't get that far in the book. Yet, I think but. from here, I think from here, it's just graduate high school. As long okay. as you get to that, you're, you're good to go. Like the rest of whatever. Yeah. <laughs> the rest of six yeah, true. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. you, spe- you speak of giving people time, um, you know, words of affirmation or your love language. It sounds like you show love to other people by giving them time. That's what you do with your students in your classroom. It's what you're doing for your own children at home. I feel like that's kind of what you're doing for me right now. People that don't know this, we're recording this on a Sunday afternoon. And you, you mentioned you were heading to the pool today. It feels like the, it feels like summer today, but you're sitting here and you're hanging out with, with me and sharing your story with so many other people. So I just publicly, I want to say thank you for, for doing that because I, I know it is a huge ask, but I also know that you are providing amazing value to people right now. Your story, not just the, the academic side of explaining STEM and mastery-based learning and all of those pieces, which are super important and super valuable. And I truly hope that schools everywhere are hearing this and thinking, oh, we need to experiment with that. We need to try that. But even the, the vulnerable pieces where you're talking about th- this willingness and this urgency to embrace sometimes the uncomfortable of, of life, um, this desire to constantly get better and see things from new perspectives everything about your story is just, it's speaking to me in this pure and authentic way. And we don't hear that very much from people, especially in education, where we feel like we're supposed to put up the facade of perfection all the time, where there's this fear of being anything less than, whether it's less than the person across the hall, 
less than the label we received last year. And I don't feel that from you. I feel this just complete contentment with who you are. And gosh, it feels so good. And I appreciate who you are right now in this moment, seven years in, mom of two, dealing with the crazy, who you are right now is absolutely incredible. So, so thank you for sharing you with all of us. Thank you, Dave. I'm so glad you brought that up because honestly, like I, I, I'm glad it looks like I don't struggle with like the whole perfectionism thing. And it is kind of something I've always struggled with. Like if I'm not the best, I'm not good at anything. Mm -hmm. And I've struggled with that my entire life. And I think I'm starting to get to a point where that's not the case anymore. I'm like, it's okay not to be the best, just to be recognized for, you know, be who you are and what, what, what you give is enough. I think that was, that was a big thing from last year. I was like, what you're doing, what you're giving right now is, is enough. That's fine. You don't have to go above and beyond every single day, hundred percent of the time. And I think yeah, that whole perfectionism piece, I, I think a lot of educators, myself included, struggle with that because mm -hmm. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just your profession, but it's just, you know, you, you see the per perfect classrooms on Instagram and once I get past like, oh, my fire marshal would never let me do that. I'm like, oh, why can't I do that in my classroom? Do, you know, do my students not like my room as much because it doesn't look like that? Like, I don't know. I've always struggled with that. <laughs> I, 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 you're right, though. I think we all have. And I think it's important for us to remember that perfectionism is a perception. It's how we perceive somebody else. And you mentioned this quest to be the best. And best is this subjective, relative term. It's, it's not a quest to be better. It's a quest to be better than everybody and everything else, right? As opposed to embracing who you are, which doesn't mean copying out, which doesn't mean just accepting the status quo. It means accept who you are, reflect on it honestly, strive to be better for you, not because you're competing with other people. And right. that is, that is an extremely hard thing to learn. But I don't think it's something that educators need to look at and say, that they might struggle with perfectionism that makes them flawed or they're striving to be better than somebody else because they're flawed. Honestly, we've created this system that pits people against each other, that it's this quest for a label and um, an identity or evaluation or something along those lines. So if, if we can embrace who we are, know that who we are, we are those connectors. We are those people that sit next to, that we find a seat next to Johnny's and Susie's who aren't noticed by anybody else, who you amplify voices of people that don't feel like they have a voice and you make people feel seen and noticed, then you are better than you are the best because you are doing what others aren't. So keep doing that. And that's what you do, Chelsea. <laughs> you are that, you are that, you are the buddy bench of teachers. You are the person that makes others feel noticed and oh, it's so good. So good. Whew. Now, before, before I start getting all emotional, Chelsea, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to turn it back to you now. And we do this at the end of, of every podcast episode where I allow people to, to tell their stories. And then before they wrap it up, I challenge them. And I say, you got to give us a mic drop though. I want you to connect with people that are listening before they get out of their cars and they go into work before they fall asleep at night, whatever they're doing as they're listening to the podcast right now, I want you to just leave them with something that that's going to resonate with them and say, this is a Chelsea Nicolino thing. I, I, I got this now. Drop that mic before you walk off the stage, Chelsea. 
Well, I'll be honest. I've been thinking about this for months. So it's just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I know Dave's going to ask me, what's my mic talk moment? Um, I'll be honest, that changes depending on what season of life and my career. Um, you know, if you would have asked me that last year, it had been totally different from my answer now. But going through um, just the point of my career that I had been through, especially in this last year, my big thing would be like, my goodness, just give yourself grace. I, I mean, I know I had said, you know, I struggle with the whole perfectionism thing. I'm so glad it doesn't seem like that. I always had this internal struggle and I'm going to be perfectly honest. Um, I had this conversation with my, um, with my husband the other day about like, I, and I'll, I'll toot my horn for a second. I was a district teacher of the year finalist in my district last year. And that was, it, it was a huge honor. I was so excited. Um, and I made it to the top eight and I didn't end up winning the big thing. And I, I'm not gonna lie, I was a little bummed. I didn't feel like I did it. I felt like I left some people down. And my husband said, he's like, you know what? He's like, even no matter what happened, that probably you would have had that same mindset, no matter if you won, if you would have won, you would have had imposter syndrome. And you'd be like, I don't deserve this. I don't know why they gave this to me. And he's like, if you didn't win, you'd be like, oh, I didn't do my best. And I sat there and I was like, that is hundred percent true. Mm. And so I was like, you know, it, no matter what, like, I know everyone is fighting their own battles and we all have imposter syndrome sometime. And we're like, I don't feel like I'm the best person. I don't know why I'm being recognized. And I feel like now, at least this point in my career, I'm like, you know what? Now it's time to start embracing it. Like if someone gives you a compliment, take it. Um, it's amazing when people appreciate you for your efforts and you are doing good things. No matter if you don't feel like it, I, you know, take the time to give yourself some grace and, you know, tell, tell that voice in your head that's always telling you not, you know, to do something or you're not doing enough that you are. What, you, what you're giving right now is enough and don't be so hard on yourself. I think that would be my big mic drop moment. I know I'm talking to myself right now too, but I know there's so many other educators who, who would benefit from that mindset too. It's funny how you ended that just now, because what I was going to say was actually the exact opposite of that. <laughs> what what I love, love about what you just said was that this wasn't a mic drop moment where you were speaking to a crowd. I felt like you were speaking to me. And I'm sure there were other people that heard that, that it sounded like you were just talking right to them. And it's, it's so powerful hearing you say that because it, it's the words that I need to hear. It's the word that so many educators need to hear. You are enough. You are enough. Embrace what makes you, you embrace your skills, embrace your gifts, embrace your talents, and use those to go out and change some destinies. Now, mind you, your job is hard. Your job has extremely difficult expectations that we all expect you to, to meet and achieve. Truly, destinies hang in a balance, but you are enough to change those destinies. Oh, so good. Such a good challenge. Chelsea, I, I appreciate you more than you know. Uh, you, you push me, you inspire me, you grow me, you encourage me. You are an amazing woman, amazing mom, amazing educator, an amazing friend. And I appreciate you finding time in your busy, busy life to hang out with me and, and share your story here. So thank you so much. And I cannot wait until we can connect and do this again. Yes. Thank you so much, Dave. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Lasting Learning. Interested in learning more? Feel free to check out one of my books, like Making Assessment Work, for educators who 
hate data but love kids, or bold humility, or it's like riding a bike, how to make learning last a lifetime. Just visit schmidto.net for more information, or feel free to check out Amazon.